Ben Jones, Paul Jones, Eric Smith. Lots to get to today as uh, the NBA season rolls on. Waiting for Eric to connect, and uh, we'll get going here as we review a bunch of stuff from last night. Uh, most notably, the Toronto Raptors in yet another close game. A one-possession game, E, with a minute to go, and uh, they they come up a little short. I mean, you look at this road trip, um, take away the Pistons game, but they have uh, played teams that have aspirations of going deep into the playoffs. Dallas last night, Miami, Milwaukee, and they are 1-3, and three, and I, I don't think anybody is surprised, maybe a little bit disappointed, but... Um, and the one win didn't even come over Detroit, who, by the way, beat Sacramento last night, 133-131. A lot of defense played in that one. But <laughs> if you're the Raptors, you're, you, I, like, I don't know, I, people, I don't know how people look at this. I mean, you're close, you're right there. I think it's just a matter of making a few plays at the end and cleaning stuff up, and these games are wins. But that's how close it is in the NBA, but to the, the fine, fine line between winning and losing. And it was interesting. Uh, Nick Nurse asked about it last night, if he was frustrated or optimistic with the close losses. And he said there's lots to be optimistic about because it is it is hard to win in the NBA. It, it, it really is. And you go on the road against these good teams and you are in their building uh, where they get a lot of wins and you are right there. And it's just, it's a few plays, a few things that, that clean up. But then again, in the absolute business that, that is the NBA, a three, a four-point loss, there's no special mark in the loss column. It doesn't matter if you lose by two, three, one, two, three, or 33. It's a loss. And the absolute nature of it is, is, is the bottom line. But um, the Raptors, they are playing well. Uh, they, they're right there. And it's a few plays, a few rebounds, a few shots here and there that makes the difference, Ian. Uh, hopefully they can end the road trip with a win if you're a Raptor fan on Friday in Washington. I, I, I hear you, Jonesy. I, I, guess, I guess when I step back and, and look at this, um, and I, I could probably say the same thing, or, well, actually, hold on. I hope to be able to say the same thing in two weeks from now, in a month from now, in two months from now. I think this is kind of what they are, or at least what I thought they would be. And, and I, said, I said that at one point to you either on, on the broadcast last night or maybe it was in our post-game vlog or, or whatever it was, where at the beginning of the season, I don't even remember if I said 42 and 40 or if it was 43 or whatever, but I, I think I kind of gave the wheelhouse of I could see anywhere from 38 to 44. A, a few above 500 or a few below, but hovering right around that 500 mark. And when they went through the rough patch early in the season, I still believed that they had every chance to get back to 500, maybe get above 500. And I said from the beginning, I thought they would be in the mix for the postseason, whether that was locked in in the sixth seed or whether that was battling in the 7-8-9-10 in the play-in tournament. I honestly didn't think, when you looked at it, stacking them up, man-for-man, experience-wise, um, talent-wise, etc., I did not think they were ready to be considered as a top-four team in the East with home-court advantage. But I thought they had every reason to think that they were not a bottom five team and that they would be in that playoff conversation, in that playoff mix. And here we are at the midway point and now a game into the second half of the season, and they sit right at 500. 
after having been a couple above and a few below. Now they're right at it, and they're hoping to get back above it on Friday. But I would say, Jonesy, in spite of, and I'm not looking for excuses, these are facts, in spite of multiple injuries, in spite of multiple players in COVID protocol, in spite of injuries that exist now and perhaps inefficiency combined with injuries, an extremely short, very tight, arguably tightest in the entire league right now, rotation, playing with essentially six, seven guys for the better part of the last week. This team is still there, scratching and clawing against the best of the best, and albeit, as you just said, no moral victories. They're proving they can hang. If they had another body, if they had another person to go to that they relied upon or could be relied upon, if Gary Trent Jr., let alone Ken Birch, is available right now. But here's the other thing, too. In spite of 38% shooting last night and 25% from distance, Jonesy, the free throw shooting was okay last night, 20 of 25, but that's been one of their biggest downfalls of late. If they don't shoot, what, going into last night, what was it? Something like 65, 68%? 65, 65%, yeah. Over their last how many games? If that number's at 72, Um, let alone 82, right? They're winning more of those games, these crunch time moments. That's been one thing that stands out. So I think there's a lot of intangibles from the health to the protocols to the rotation to the minutes the starters are logging to little things that might be big things like the free throw shooting that has made the difference. And would we be talking differently right now about the Raptors if they had won last night? Yeah, we'd be talking a little bit more positively yeah. in the sense that, like, hey, they just got a huge win over the Mavericks. They were 9-1 and one over the last 10, and they beat the fifth seed in the West, and now they're, they're, they're two games above 500. But really, would the narrative change that much? We'd still be saying, hey, Jonesy, good they got the win, but they, 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 they kind of squeaked that one by. And, and, man, do they have to address the rotation going into Friday against the Wizards? How much of a concern are these minutes? Do they need to start working on their free throws? Can you, you, know, can you rely upon hopefully getting Gary Trent or Ken Birch back for that game? What do you think about being just a couple above now that we're – like, it's the same conversation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And here's the thing, Eric. Um, you, you seem to – I don't even know if you would say learn because I think at this level, the coaches evaluate in a way that um, it's not like the, the, the high school or the university level. Sometimes winning is that great deodorant, right? It covers up anything else that stinks. And you, you lose a game and you comb over the video and you pick out every little thing that you could have done better. That doesn't always happen in wins. So no, it doesn't. Yeah. No. And, and, and like last night, I, I mean, from, from listening to the, the team and listening to people, you know, we're talking about the positive part of it and, and, you know, how close they are. Had they won, I'm sure the coaching staff is still pouring over the video the same way and pointing out things that on one side, if you lose, can lead to a win. But on the other side, if you win can lead to a loss. Well, a bad closeout or a missed rebound or a blown assignment, the little things. So I think that's where they're searching for the consistency. And if you're a Raptor fan, I think you're pleased with where they are, but you're at the same time, you're not satisfied. You're a little bit disappointed that some of these close games haven't been pulled out, that, you know, that the free throw shootings, you said, 58 for 88, 66% over the last four games going into last night is not better. 
Um, just little things. Scotty Barnes, for the first time in his in my that I can remember as a rookie, let down last night on on a possession that was important. Lucas shook him, and he just, you know, he he played it like it was in a game in the schoolyard. It doesn't matter if you lose; you just you leave the floor and you come back for the next game after that. It just. Those are the, those are the little things that I think they're they're going to have to clean up and they're going to have to work on because they are right there. And let's maybe address that right now, Jones. You bring up the the play involving Scotty Barnes. You know, you and I talked about it a couple times during the broadcast, and maybe um, I'm not even trying to find a positive to this. I think it speaks to how well Scotty has played as a rookie, as a guy who's contending for Rookie of the Year. That I already look at him as the type of defender that shouldn't be beat the way he was beaten at times last night by Luca, and, and and that's saying something, right? Like, that's either me not giving Luca enough respect or maybe giving Scotty too much respect that I was surprised that Luka Doncic, you know, an MVP-type player, I was surprised at how easily he got by Scotty a couple of times last night. And I, I said it to you, I'm like, man, he just blew by Scotty. And I wondered how much of that was, you know, all-star, superstar-type player just going out of rookie. And the rookie just, you know, taking his lumps like so many have. Even the elite of the elite take their lumps early on, and he'll learn from that. Or how much of it is maybe his mobility's not as great right now because of the knee. Again, that's all speculative. But there he was late in the game, and you just addressed it. I, I hate saying that somebody gives up. I don't know that Scotty gave up on a play, and I know you didn't say that either. No. But it certainly looked yeah. like he got beat, and he just sort of like, ah. Uh, like, he didn't even make an attempt to lunge back over to put a token hand up. His hands were at his side, and he walked like he was. It's almost like he was walking more towards the bench than walking towards Luca. Like he, he again. I don't know that he gave up, but he certainly gave him that I, shot. I don't think Luka he did. Gave him, he gave I, him a move, and he just gave him the shot. Yeah, I, I, I think, I, you know, I'd love to be able to talk to Scotty. I think maybe he got surprised at how good Luca was, and and for yeah. us, as as uh, people that watch the Raptors. You look at that as a challenge. You say, "Okay, I'm 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 excited to see how the rookie gets into the MVP. I'm I'm excited to see how he guards uh, Luca. Um, you know what he does against uh, you know a, a, a Jason Tatum when they played the Celtics. You know what? How how does he how does he play against uh, you know how does he play against the Clippers if he was to see a Paul George? You know what what happens when he sees Joel Embiid, or he gets switched on to, uh, you know, Bradley Beal, and and those are things that I think he's done really well. I mean, he's 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 played well, but last night uh, a couple times, uh, you know, Luca as the MVP uh, made him look made him look ordinary. But Luca made everybody look ordinary last night. He, he he had 41 and 14. The guy was, you know, when you think about it, he's probably responsible for. 70 to 75 with his scoring and his assisting. Uh, 70 to 75 of, of Dallas's points. Maybe more when you take into account the seven rebounds if they're on the off, if any of them are on the offensive end. I, I didn't even really look at the numbers, but uh, those are the guys that are really dangerous, the guys that score, and then they give you assists too because they make other people better and they bring other guys to the party. So, uh, but, but back to the point about Scotty Barnes, hey, it's one of those you you learn from it, you turn the page, and you you look forward to the next time you play that guy. Well, uh, Nick Nurse, after the ball game, when asked about that play, um, he said, we didn't guard hard enough. We didn't guard it hard enough. 
And then a quick follow-up question to Nurse about, you know, was it miscommunication? Was it a missed assignment? Because I believe it was um, Chris Boucher that was just to Scotty's right, Luca's left, if I'm describing that properly. I believe I am. Boucher was there, and I guess Boucher could have jumped out as well, but he was even further from Luca, and he wasn't guarding Luca. So if Scotty was expecting help, maybe that plays into the was there miscommunication, and Nick simply said, uh, well, uh, I think I probably would have guarded him harder. He was notab- noticeably, um, whether you watched the clips or heard the clips, and we're going to play a couple for you in a second, he was noticeably frustrated and upset after the game. Frustrated might be the better word than upset, but you could sense that Nurse was frustrated with that play, let alone with the game in general last night. And and, and listen, Jones, you've been there as a coach, maybe at a different level, but it's still about uh, you know coaching people and, and emotions and personalities and trying to not be in just the moment but think to the future as well. Nick Nurse, on one hand, you've got to answer the questions and on one hand I'm sure he's more critical behind the scenes but this is also hopefully a teaching moment a learning moment that he as a coach yep. can um, impart some wisdom on Scotty Barnes and hopefully then Scotty Barnes will um, learn from it and not do it again yeah uh, and that's and that's what it's about um, uh, I, I thought Nick uh, handled it very skillfully uh, with, with great experience uh, he, he clearly he wasn't Happy. I mean, you're never happy when a guy gets an open shot like that and your defense breaks down. And uh, but I, I thought he was. Uh, I thought he made his point out. Point got his point across without really calling anybody out. And I mean, you can look at the play. Scotty's got to do a better job. And Scotty will look at the play. And if you asked him, he'd probably say the same thing. Um, yep. But on the other side of the coin, that's Luka Doncic. That's not. You know, that's not uh, Paul Jones on the Saturday run at the Y. Um, that, that's one of the best players in the world. So um, nothing, nothing you can do about it now. You let it go, it's done, you learn from it, and you get ready for the next one. That being said, man, the Raptors were right there. It, 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 was, it was terrific fourth quarter defense, Eric. We talked about how uh, Dallas had been uh, shooting the ball well. They were well over, uh, they were well over 50%. Uh, for most of the game, uh, but uh, you know, in the fourth quarter, the Raptors did a, did a number. They 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 got the shooting percentage down. Um, it improved a little bit in the third quarter when they held held Dallas to to ten of twenty three. But the fourth quarter, they they played really good defense and they got back in that game thanks to their defense and uh, just just couldn't make shots. Uh, again, the Raptors losing to the Mavericks last night. Uh, and falling to 500, 102-98, the final. The Raptors now sitting in the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference. They're at 500 at 21-21. and 21. The Celtics ahead of the Raptors at 23-23. and 23. So the Raptors still with uh, four games in hand to make up versus the Celtics. So still an opportunity to climb the standings and leapfrog some folks as they have played the fewest number of games in the Eastern Conference. And right now, the other thing, too, we're going to go back to the Raptors and, and hear from Nick Nurse in a second. But when I look at the standings in the East right now, Jonesy, I also look at the streaks. There's no team in the East. Again, I'm just looking at the East. No team in the East that has won more than two games in a row right now. Now, if you look at a bigger picture, over the last 10 games, the Heat 7-3, and three, 
the Hornets seven and three, the Cavaliers seven and three, the Seventy Sixers eight and two. Pretty much everybody else five and five, six and four, four and six. Like the Raptors have maybe lost three of their last four and two in a row. They're six and four over their last ten. They're right in there with what everybody else in the East. Like basically, if you're going to be kind of going through a lull or a little bit of a a dip, now's the time maybe to be doing it because nobody's sort of on a hot streak or running away with things right now, at least none of the teams that you're surrounded by outside of maybe the Hornets. So try and get get it back on track. On Friday at Washington, the Wizards entering action today ahead of the Raptors in the standings by only a half a game at 23-22. and 22. And again, three games separating the two of them with the Raptors still to make up three versus the Wizards. So there's still plenty of opportunity for the Raptors to do some damage. But clearly got to take care of business. And as we've noted a number of times, at least on this week uh, on this show the schedule is not easy coming up either I mean Washington and Portland yeah but there are some uh, heavyweights coming before the end of the month as well but Jones we've been talking about you know some of the uh, some of the bad and there was certainly plenty of bad last night against the Mavericks but after the ball game last night Nick Nurse did talk about some of the things that he actually did like about what he saw from his team albeit in the loss to Dallas well I mean I thought overall our defense was okay Right. Um, we, we obviously he had a big night and, and was going, I thought we did a good job of, of, um, turning them over. I thought we made some great reads. I thought we went some great stretches of getting the ball out of his hands. Um, you know, for a majority of the second half there, uh, just a few stretches kind of back to back there where he shook free. Um, but no, I mean, I, mean, I our guys played a really good game. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know why I'm sensing so much negativity here from everybody, but our guys played their guts out here tonight against a team that's 10 and one in their last 11. Um, that maybe speaks to the frustration as well that I was talking about earlier, Jonesy, that, that, that nurse seemed to um, be understandably uh, displaying last night and you heard it right towards the end there, I don't understand the negativity. And and I didn't hear the entire uh, Zoom press conference, the conference call, uh, and I'm certainly by no means looking to, to, to you know, be critical of our, our, our brethren, our, our fellow members of the media and the writers and, and whatever, the broadcasters that might have called into that. But I, I guess, you know, trying to put two and two together, it sounds like maybe Nick was upset with how much, you know, the, the Barnes play was being questioned and – one of the things that we've discussed, and I know it was certainly a topic of discussion last night in some of the questions and certainly is in a lot of the articles I read today, a lot of people are focusing, right or wrong, on the rotation and specifically the minutes and the lack of uh, minutes and use of Banton, Flynn, Watanabe, Mihailuk, and how sustainable this is. And I think maybe that's where the negativity is stemming from, like, you know, whether it be as a writer, a broadcaster, a fan – do we all have, do any of us have the magical answer, the magic elixir that Nick Nurse doesn't? Is Nick Nurse seeing something that we're not? Is he privy to something that we aren't? I would say yes. He's the head coach of the team. He probably is. And at the end of the day, I don't question the fact that he's rolling with the dudes that he thinks can help him win more so than others. But is his leash a little bit too tight right now? And is there not a five-minute stretch for any one of those guys that might help you out, that might be able to spell off? Would that make an impact or not? And then I would say yes, but Jonesy, as we flip it and go back and forth, and this is why you get into discussions, debates, arguments, conversations, Nick's ultimate trump card could could be, yeah, you know what, though? 
in spite of everything you're saying, you think it's fatigue or you think I should have done this X, Y, Z? We are right there down to the final 30 seconds of the game against the team, as he just said, that's now 10-1 and over their last 11. So you really think that playing Malachi Flynn for four minutes in the third quarter would have changed the outcome of that game? We were right there. We could have easily won that game. It's got nothing to do with me not playing these certain players. I don't know. What do you think? Is it How much fatigue is playing into this right now? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And only individual players sure. uh, can say that. And when, you know, you can sometimes look at a guy and say he's tired, but if he's not playing well or he's missing shots, <clears throat> you only have hints as to what it might be. It might be his, his leg injury. It might be his hand injury. It might be fatigue. N- nobody knows unless there's something glaring. Are these guys tired? I'm sure they're tired. You know how tired you are after playing uh, in, in a 48-minute in a NBA game and you're playing 42 minutes? It's tiring. But that doesn't mean it's, it's an excuse for a missed shot. Or it, it, it might be. It might not be. But a player is not going to lean on that as an excuse because no player wants to leave the game. They might be tired. But they would only a timeout is good enough rest. Give me 45 seconds and I'll be okay. Give me a minute, minute and a half, two minutes, and I'm okay. No player wants to come out of the game. And I, it, look, nobody knows the, the team better than the coach. Nobody, nobody knows the team better than the coach. And if he doesn't think that he can trust a guy for four or five minutes to give a guy a break, and that could cost the game. I mean, we just talked about how little things cost you the game or little things win you the game. If he feels, no, you know what? I'm going to roll with these guys, and I can't give player X or player Y or player Z uh, five or six minutes because they might let, it, they might let us down. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't inspire confidence in the bench, but at the same time, you can't argue with the fact that they are in all of these games. You, you can't you you can't argue with it. Might they pay for it later? Okay, later on you'll look back and say, "Wow, guys are really tired. They've worn down. They should have had some rest." But you you can't again. You can't live for the future. Okay, play play guys now. Lose games now, and then you know you you, you turn the corner in in mid to late March, and you're three four games out of the out of the play in or you're. You're locked in a spot where you could have been better had you won some games. And your best chance to win games is to play your best players. That's, that's kind of what it comes down to. And, and we, and I'm not talking about our, our, our colleagues in Toronto, but we in the media in general, because of the numbers and the analytics, have somehow started to look at um, minutes and games played and all this stuff, whereas... I mean, back in the day, guys played. They played. Look at how many times, barring injury, that uh, you know Michael Jordan played 82 games. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, he practiced as hard as he played. So when they had practice on off days, it was like a game for him. People will talk about the length of his career. Well, heck, if he had all the load, load management that's going on now and the nutrition and everything else, how long might his career have been? So I, I never worry about that. Uh, yeah, it's tough to play the guys that long, and you, you try to get them a rest whenever you can or give them off days or whatever. But, um, hey, man, the coach knows what he needs to do to win. And if it means, you know, if it means that 
guys have to play a lot. Guys have to play a lot. Some I've heard it in the playoffs back in the day where players have gone into the coach and say, hey, man, I'll go 48 tonight if you need me. Well, Fred Van Vliet went 42 last night, and he wasn't even top man for the Raptors. Van Vliet, 42 minutes. OG Ananobi, 43 minutes. Pascal Siakam, 44 minutes. But Van Vliet uh, leading the league in minutes played, minutes per game. Uh, still had the double-double, 18 and 12, but 4 of 20 from the floor, including 3 of 15 from distance. And how much did fatigue minutes factor into that? Maybe not at all, but I know that was kind of where um, the question was stemming from, I think, after the game in terms of Fred's struggles. Is it tied to him being tired, et cetera, or not? And uh, here's Nick Nurse addressing Fred's off night. Obviously, we'd like him to shoot a higher percentage, but... You know, he did have 12 assists. He did play hard. He did hit, a, hit one or two big ones when we needed him. Um, you know, I think he played played great other than the shooting. I mean, he, they're going to have some nights like that in this league. And one last one from Nick Nurse on the team overall. This ties into everything we've been discussing, I think. That might be Nick Nurse calling Jonesy right now. The team's play of late. Um, and then specifically OG Ananobi as well. Here again, Nick Nurse. This has been like an incredible stretch of games here against really good teams. I mean, three of the four, if not four of the four, with championship aspirations, or at least deep runs in the playoffs. And it's been an incredibly valuable experience. I know our guys have played a lot of heavy minutes, but they're getting a ton of reps. And to OG, he's been getting post-ups. He's been getting shots. He's been getting drives where – We've, uh, again, rejigged a bunch of the play calls to, to give him some more opportunities to kind of highlight all three of those things. And um, I think it's been really valuable for him. And to, to maybe clarify what Nurse said there, I'm going to clarify for him because I'm all but certain this is what he meant, Jonesy, when he said three of three or maybe four of four. He wasn't including the Pistons with due respect. I'm sure they have championship aspirations one day, but not this season. But four of the last five, Phoenix – Milwaukee, Miami, Dallas. You lose by four to the Suns. You lose by five to the Heat. You lose by four to the Mavericks. And you beat Milwaukee by seven. We're talking nip and tuck in every single one of those games where you, even that Milwaukee game, you could have just as easily won or lost any one of those games. So they're proven they hang. But as we've talked about for 25 minutes or so now, no moral victories. One and three in those games, and including that Pistons game, now one and four, as they've lost four out of five. They've lost uh, three out of four thus far on this road trip and try to finish the road trip at a two and three mark, which I think, all things considered, would be all right. Detroit, Milwaukee, Miami, Dallas, Washington. Three and two would have been better, but you'll take two and three and get your neck, your head back above water, back above 500, going into a couple of home games against Portland and Charlotte on Sunday, Tuesday. I'd take it right now. But you got to take care of business against against the Wiz, and obviously that's not exactly a cakewalk either. They're the eighth seed; they're just ahead of you, and they're going to be, you know, looking for a win just as much as you are as well. So they've got to come in primed and ready, and hopefully, Jonesy, they actually get uh, at least one of those bodies back. I, I I don't know this with certainty, but it sounds like maybe Kem Birch might be out still for a little bit longer, recovering from the surgery after breaking the nose, but. Um, you know, Nick Nurse even acknowledged before the game yesterday that he thought he might have Gary Trent back by now, 
So I'm hoping, I'm taking that as maybe a positive sign that perhaps he's back by the end of the road trip. We've seen him getting up shots and practicing before every game, but just not quite ready for the actual game itself yet. So if not by Friday, uh, again, I'm purely speculating, but I would hope or assume that by the time Sunday rolls around, you're back at home against Portland, that Trent's got a chance to be back in there. Yeah, uh, Eric, you know, interesting. I was taking account of um, the five games or the four of the five that they that they were against uh, teams that are hoping for a deep run. Yep. I think I was adding the numbers as you went, in, including the seven-point win against Milwaukee, and it was twenty points. So basically, you're in a five-point game. You're in a you're in a one-two possession game every night with with those teams, and think of, you know, what you would think Toronto is as a team that's got some young players trying to rebuild uh now mind you not all those not all those young young players are playing right now because nick's going with a shorter bench but uh it's it sure is experience and it sure is learning for achua and barnes uh you know and champagne out on the floor with guys that have had their hands on the trophy like siakam and van vliet and ananobi was on that team and it's a new situation for all of them, too, with the exception of maybe Pascal. It, it's, it's kind of a new situation for OG and Fred being that guy at the end of the game consistently uh, when, when games are on the line and, and games are important. We're not talking about, you know, last year in Tampa when you're 10, 12 games out of it and you're in a close game against a, t- a close game against a team, maybe a playoff team. It doesn't matter for you because the win isn't going to put you into playoff position or, or, or lead you toward lead you to a championship. This is a different situation for them. So it's learning all round. And when you look at this Raptor team compared to Phoenix, Milwaukee, Miami, Dallas, who have experience and expect deep runs, you know, on the positive side, you, you, you have to feel good about what's going on. All right. We'll have Eric back on the other side. See, the Gremlins. I, you, you were, oh, you were yeah? garbly for you were garbly for a second, and I was trying to talk like a transformer. But we're we're back now. It looks like the connection is solid. I was saying I was looking at the schedule just quickly. I know we want to step aside in in a, in a moment because we're going to have Billy King join us. But I was looking back to to mid December, and I know that Brooklyn game. There was no James Harden. There was there was no a whole lot of people. Um, but hey, Kevin Durant was still in the lineup, and if. LeBron James can bring Ira Nubel to an NBA championship, then Kevin Durant can carry just about anybody <laughs> to a regular season game. Okay? That loss to the Nets by two points in overtime, right? You think about the teams that the Raptors have played now for more than a month. Like, you started December with a win over Milwaukee. Yeah, Giannis wasn't in the lineup. You beat the Wizards. You lost to the lowly Thunder. But that was a ridiculously thrilling game, and it came down to the wire. You beat the Knicks. You beat the Kings as you should. A really close, narrow loss to the Brooklyn Nets going punch for punch. You beat the Warriors without everybody in the lineup. 
you had a five-point loss to the 76ers after getting that blowout with nobody in the lineup for you against the Cavaliers on Boxing Day. You beat the Clippers with nobody in the lineup. Like, I, I, I'm trying to wipe out some of those games against playoff teams or playoff opponents that obviously were, were ravaged by COVID protocols as you were for a while. But we're talking about for more than a month now, every time the Raptors have faced a top team, every time, literally every time, the Nets, the Sixers, the Suns, the Heat, the Mavericks, every single time they faced a legit, legit top-quality playoff team, it's been either a victory or a loss by five or less. That's pretty good. That's showing that you can hang, yeah. but it's showing you how close, how narrow that margin of victory is. Yeah, fine line, fine, fine line, always is. All right, let's step aside. When we come back, former NBA executive with the Sixers and Nets, uh, we will be joined by Billy King on Smith & Jones on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you, joining us on the line right now. Former NBA executive with the Sixers and Nets, co-host of the WIP Morning Show in Philadelphia. Pleased to be joined again uh, by Billy King. Billy, thanks again for your time today. Good morning. Glad to be with you guys. Hey, Billy, um, I wanted to ask you just kind of a, a, a general generic one tapping back into your days as an executive and the frustration that I'm sure you felt on, on many occasions, either watching a game or the next day or in calls with the league office, whatever it is. Jonesy and I have gotten to the point now, and, and Paul, I'm bringing you into this because I'm, I'm pretty sure you're in lockstep with me. Billy, when we watch games now, and, and this isn't just a Raptor comment, this is like for everybody. I don't think I know anymore what is or isn't a flagrant one, a flagrant two, what is or isn't going to be a tech, what's considered excessive contact. When they go to the replay, Billy, and you've got the the guys in Secaucus looking at it, let alone the two or three guys in the arena, I'm at the point now where it used to be like, oh, it's a 50-50 chance. I might get this right. I might sound like a genius on the air, or I might sound like an idiot. Now I more often than not sound like an idiot because every time I think I know, Apparently, I don't know. It seems like I don't know the rule book anymore or people are seeing things that I'm not because I swear every time the replay is brought in, Jonesy, am I wrong? We're, we're wrong more no. often than not here. It's, it's confusing trying to figure out what's happening in the NBA these days. BK, we're yeah, guessing. Yeah. We're guessing the whole time. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I think you're right. I, I think what, what's happened before you knew, uh, that's definitely a flagrant foul. And I think now they are trying to err on the side of caution and, like, say, well, I'm not sure. And I think the personality – and one thing that's different lately, I guess the last couple years, you have the referees actually in Secaucus being involved also. But before it wasn't the – because now the referees rotate through there. Um, But I I do think they got to get more clarity because as you get to the playoffs and these plays become more apparent and become bigger – you want to know, especially from the players and the coaches' standpoint, they want to be clear on what it is. And I, and I just think right now there's too much ambiguity in, involved in, in, in making those decisions right now. Rather, because before we say if, if there was a blow to the head, that was going to be a flagrant. We might have to reconnect with Billy here in a second, Jonesy. It look, looks like the uh, cell phone might have just. Uh, but it just kind of uh, gone I, sideways for a second. So we'll get him back into the mix in a second. But I, 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 I you know, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. I have a follow. I have a follow up for him, Eric, because you're right. I mean, everybody's uh, looking for the consistency. Everybody wants to know what it is. Uh, you know what we can look forward to consistently going forward. But the other part of it too is, and, and I watched it in the Denver game last night. No, no official wants to be wrong. It takes. It's already a tough enough job, and you're going to admit in front of twenty thousand people that you were wrong, and that that's the other part of it. Billy, uh, yeah. we hear your point about the consistency, man. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing about it is, is and I just heard you say they, they have to admit that they're wrong. I think that a lot of times referees rely too much on the replay. Figure they'll make a call and figure, well, we're just going to go to replay anyway, and, and they'll resolve it. I always said the referees should try to get it right first and almost make the league have to buzz them like they do in football. We want to take a look at this. Make them make the call and then let the league initiate the re- replay. Um, say we want to take a look at this because we think you may have got it wrong, and that may, that way it forces the guys to try to be uh, more correct and, and precise in their call making. So, so Billy and and Eric and I again, this is if you let me, if you put me in the room with the competition committee for one hour, I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I think <laughs> will improve will improve things. Just let me in. For, I'm like that guy outside. Not the, 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 the door-to-door salesman knocking on your door. Just want to stick the foot in there and get in the door, and I can, I can sell you some stuff. Um, I, I, I hear what you're saying about the replay center, but it's kind of like sending a kid to the principal's office. Once that kid goes to the principal's office and you're the teacher, the principal's now deciding. You might be unhappy with what the principal decides, but you've, in, you've given them the authority. So should the ego not step back? And if the guy in Secaucus or the girl in Secaucus says, hey, no, man, that's a foul. You got it wrong or you missed that. Then you have to swallow your pride because you 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 wanted them to look at it. And, and, and can the replay center, as you said, not buzz them? Hey, at 423 of the second quarter. Um, you, and I know this is a slippery slope, but y'all miss the travel and and they're they're not called as often and when they're egregious and 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 right there in your face and they're not called everybody in the arena sees it at 423 of the second quarter there was a travel on that bucket we're taking it off the board the same way you can change a two or a three or say it was a shot clock violation and alter the score that way i mean those are some of the improvements i'd like to see i don't know if they're all feasible i don't know if everybody would go for them but but I think you know those are ways maybe to improve the game. Just just my thinking. Yeah, but but I think you 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 run the risk of uh, strategy affecting strategy because if if you got to wait till a dead ball, then you go back and say that was a travel. We're going to change the score. Um, you know, certain guys may not be in, or you play a guy thinking, okay, he only has three fouls. They come back and say, well, you missed missed a foul. Now he's got four fouls, and you would have taken him out before. Right. Um, so I think that, and and so. My whole thing, I mean, and they get judged. They they grade every play. They, you know, so guys that, you know, have bad calls consistently, you know, don't get the plum assignments, and eventually they get out of the league. You know, I worry that the game the game is go, is being refereed by humans, and humans make mistakes. And when we go to the replay, now there's so like when football put the re, in the NFL they put the replay in for pass interference because everybody complained about it, and they realized it was hard to execute. 
So you've got to make sure when you put replay things in, and that's one thing we talked about when I was part of the comp disc committee, is is it executable when we put the replay in? How will you execute that? So I, I think, to me, I'd like less than more replay uh, because just like a player makes a mistake or the coach makes a mistake, referees are going to make mistakes, and that's part of the game. Speaking with Billy King, Billy, um, shifting our attention maybe to the team that, that, you know, the city you're in specifically, if we look at the last 10, uh, eight and two over the last 10 uh, puts Philadelphia at the top of the list for teams in the Eastern Conference, currently the fifth seed, eight games above 500. Uh, Beyond simply just saying Joel Embiid, and I know that's arguably the number one answer, how has Philly been able to do this and be as good as they've been this season in spite of no Ben Simmons and all the drama and the chatter and the conversation surrounding that and the team focusing on the job and the task at hand and still having a heck of a season? Well, I mean, you, you've got to look at Joel because it's like last night he had 50 points in 27 minutes. He's, you know, had a streak of, he's had a streak of 30 point games going for, for, I think it's like 10 games now, but what they have, they've got a team. So guys have stepped up. When Danny Green's been out, somebody else has stepped up. Um, so for Doc, he's got to be pleased that other people are stepping up when other people have been out. The one constant when Joel Embiid is out, they really struggle. But when he's playing, other guys, and I think that's what Doc did when he came even last year. He made the focal point about Joel. He's our main, he's our go-to guy. And so it's easier for the other guys to feed off and know their roles because they know what his job is. Um, so they had different guys that have stepped up and played. Um, I don't know how much longer it can go because they're asking guys to do much. And I think Doc even said it, you know, a little bit of it could be luck. And, you know, we maybe are overachieving. But it, it starts when you have a great player. It's like you guys had Kawhi up there. When he was out for games for rest, other guys played well and you had some wins because you had a great player and guys knew how to feed off him and so the system was able to run. And when I was fortunate to have Allen Iverson, you know, players fed off and they knew their roles. When you have a great player and playing great basketball, it makes everybody else's job a lot easier. And I think that's what it is for them. The constant is Joel, but other guys were able to do their comfortable roles rather than being asked to do a lot more when Joel is out. Hey, Billy, you mentioned, uh, you know, we Ben Simmons, the name came up. But give me your best guess as to what might happen. I mean, we're at the almost at the All-Star break. We're halfway through the season, and Ben hasn't played, and we keep hearing rumors about trade talks. Is it is it possible that we do? And I think this might be the case, where we don't see Ben play at all this year? I think that's, that's highly likely that he won't play this year because – they are in a position right now, and they just don't want to give him away because this is their one chip to try to make the team better to build around Joel. And so just to make a trade to say, okay, we traded him and we got some pieces, if it's not going to advance them towards their ultimate goal of winning a championship, then they, they shouldn't do a deal because it's a lot easier to do a deal in the summer when you're talking about a guy like that because you're allowed during the season, you're only allowed to 15 players on your roster when you do a trade. It makes it tougher. During the summer, you're not limited to that. So you can take in more guys and have 18 guys in your roster because you're not playing. So the best deal for them may not come until this summer. Um, and so you may not see Ben. Uh, the, I think the rumors and all the trade chatter you're hearing is either Ben's side or the Sixers tried trying to create a market, trying to get some excitement going. It's uh, hoping that somebody else will put somebody else better on the, on the table. Billy... <laughs> 
Not an easy question, I suppose, because, you know, with due respect, you're, you're not there in the room. You don't know all the, the, the inner details, but you've been in those room and you've seen a lot of those details. Is this ultimately going to play out better for Ben or for the Sixers? Like, is his stock rising uh, in terms of his trade value when he doesn't play? Are, are, are teams, our organizations, executives around the league going to simply remember the Ben that was and not think about, hey, if this dude doesn't play for an entire year, you think I'm giving up? two, three first-rounders and multiple young players, or is the stock going to fall by by other clubs saying, hey, he hasn't played in a year. We're not giving up that kind of haul that you want. Well, And, and I think that's why during the summer it'll be easier to do a deal like Because right now, if you take him in, he hasn't played. He's got to get in game shape. So if they make a deal at the trade deadline, you're talking about him by the time he gets in game shape ready to play, your third week of you know, February – and you're either going to be out of it if you're a playoff team or trying to get in as you get him acclimated. So it, I think it'll be easier to do a deal for him. But for Ben, I, I think it's hurt Ben more than the Sixers because they're winning. If they were losing right now, then it'd be in Ben's favor. But right now, they're winning. Like you just said, they won eight out of the last ten. So it's hurting Ben Simmons because it looks like, okay, they, they could use you and they could be better. But right now, they're winning and playing well. Um, so Sometimes out of sight, out of mind, his brand is getting more damaged than anything. Uh, Billy, I, and I mean, you would know this having having been in that life and and lived it. How many deals get revisited? Uh, they might come up now, but they get revisited on the other de facto trade deadline day, which is drafting, as you said, because of the rosters and all of that. Do you do you kind of look at a deal and sometimes and go, you know what, I like this one. Let's let's sit on it a bit. Let's see if we can sweeten it for us, sweeten it for them, and revisit it sometime in June or or even July for that matter. Oh, you definitely revisit them because then you're looking at there'll be teams that thought they were going to be better during the season and their season didn't go the way they wanted, and so they may say, hey, look, I'll put that guy in the deal because he didn't play as well and. We're going to retool how we, you know, how we're going forward. If you look at Orlando, they started out last season, they were going for a playoff spot. And mid, right around Dillon, they changed the note, we're going to rebuild. So teams will do that when the season's over. They'll look and say, okay, this isn't working, so we're going to rebuild. So there are deals that you look at, and you revisit them. There may be a deal you talked about in November for Ben Simmons. Then you revisit again in January, then deadline. And then you may end up coming back to July and expanding it because now you have draft picks and involved, and you know where teams' draft order is. And so they do get revisited at that point. Billy, we appreciate the time and the insight as always. Thanks for joining us today. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll talk again soon. You're welcome. Yeah, I just noticed when I was waiting on hold, the bumper you guys used coming in the break, we used that this morning on one hour. So I was like, ah, oh. it was almost like I was deja vu all over again. There we <laughs> go. Hey, hey, it's it. regu- regular for us, Billy. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I know you. I know you guys got that smooth music going up there. So, I, I, for us, it was a, it was a surprise. For you guys, I wouldn't expect it. I mean, I would expect it. <laughs> thanks, Billy. Uh, uh, all right, thanks, Billy. Right, thank there is Billy King, former NBA executive with the Sixers and Nets, and now co-host of the WIP Morning Show in Philadelphia. Folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Spotify, Apple, or otherwise, please rate and review as well. If you uh, missed a portion of the show, you can always tune in anytime or, of course, share it with friends and family as well.